I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome to On the Bench. I'm your host for today's episode, Brendan Sinone, joined by Chris Nee, Zach Lawstein, and Josh. Never mind. Just kidding. Josh isn't here today. Too soon. Oof. How many people do you think were on to like the fact that the the last four months, the four of us were very rarely on the bench together as we were experimenting? Do you think anyone picked up on that? Everybody just thought we were having marital problems. Well, I mean, uh, am, amicable, amicable separation. Is that how we would describe it? They were too focused on Mims. <laughs> that was a bit of a distraction. All right. So. For today's episode of On the Bench, we're going to uh, touch on a few things. One is the May 1 transfer portal deadline has passed, but there will still be some transfer portal activity with a couple of days coming up, so we're going to talk about that. Uh, Zach's going to have a Juicy Destin Hill update. Uh, Zach, your new nickname is Juicy from here on out. Uh, some recruiting updates. want to get into some of the, the other sports as well and some activities from the spring as baseball and softball regular seasons are winding down. But first off, fellas, let's get into the NFL draft just occurred this weekend. I was out in Las Vegas uh, to, to watch the draft and be a big nerd while consuming copious amounts of alcohol and food. And the fact that I'm here alive right now is a testament to God's will, I guess. I don't know how, but I'm here. So Jermaine Johnson goes in the first round. Chris, where did he go? He went to the Jets. Was it 24 or 26 overall? My brain 26. is mush. 26. All right. So the fall occurs where you know, before the draft, people are starting to say like that final week, hey, he could go in the top five possibly, which seemed like a bit of a stretch, but that was on the table. More likely top 10, top 15. What happened exactly for him to fall so much? I mean, I, it's funny. I really thought he was going to go number 10 to the Jets. Um, and then they obviously go. That's the pick they use, I believe, on Garrett Wilson, the wide receiver. But the Jets loved him, and that was no secret. There were people that thought the Jets might take him at four. Um, so it's kind of funny how it's so much centered around the Jets. But So the draft, cliff note version, starts really hot with defense, opening up first, what, five, six picks with defense. Then we get a crazy run of wide receivers, high-level receivers. A historic, a, of, a historic one of run of wide receivers. There have never been that many six in the top 20. So You get crazy. a decent amount of uh, shifting and dealing of picks from about 10 to 20 mark with teams kind of shuffling where they're going. Uh, the Jets spoke afterwards, but the GM and the head coach spoke afterwards at around 15 when Jermaine was still there. They started truly getting interested in trying to get back in, and it was just about getting a right, a fair deal to get back in there and get him. I think they were absolutely shocked that he went from 15 to 26 and that he was still there for the taking for them. I think they were very happy about it. I mean, we heard some the tweets and stuff. Charles Romson, for example, I believe from Yahoo Sports. I think that's where Charles works these days. Um, saying character concerns. That's a load of, you know what, um, for the kids in the car. Uh, he doesn't have character concerns. Is he cocky? Hell yeah. Does he have a bravado about him? Yeah. Does he back it up 100%? Heck yeah. And I think if you ask anybody that was dealing with him at FSU, 
they would 100% tell you that they absolutely love his personality from a football perspective. I think his new head coach knows his personality pretty well and loves his personality as well. I think it's a huge reason the Jets wanted him. So I thought that was kind of just, you know, the idiotic NFL draft machine that happens with rumors and things of that sort. I could see Jermaine, like, I could see someone getting rubbed the wrong way by him a little bit because he does have that bravado. But, I mean, if you talk to people at Florida State, like, he was well-regarded. And that cockiness was ultimately really, really helpful for this program. Like, if this team ends up, we get into semantics, whether it's on track or needs to get on track under Mike Norvell, if it ends up getting to a place where it's winning at a consistent level where Florida State needs to under Mike Norvell, Jermaine Johnson is going to be the focal point of like what turned it around like it would be his cultural shift and what he did for that defense this past year and some of the younger guys learning from him everyone loved him here at florida state any kind of character concerns that chris alluded to like with the reports uh, weren't in play with his time at florida state i don't know what happened you know back at juco or anything like that i can't speak to that but there are no character concerns with him coming in to florida state and there were none with him leaving and yeah I, i think man the jets end up really killing it they get the best cornerback in the draft probably the the best wide receiver, 1A, 1B type, and then probably the third or fourth best defensive end in a ridiculously top-heavy, uh, probably a top 10, top 15 prospect in Jermaine Johnson. So really good job by the Jets and, and a good landing spot for Jermaine Johnson because uh, Robert Salas, really good defensive coach and will be able to, to utilize Jermaine Johnson. So uh, you know, probably not the result that he wanted in terms of like how long he was waiting on Thursday evening, but I, I think he ends up landing at a, a franchise that's probably an upward trajectory, as much as that sound weird for for the Jets being uh, something that you know, could be going well. So that ends up being the only guy who's drafted from Florida State's roster. Uh, that's not a huge surprise. You know, when Jay Sean Corbin, FSU's running back, declared for the draft, we were told he had a draft-worthy grade, uh, but a lot of that was going to be contingent on how he tested. You know, he performed decently at the East-West Shrine game that week of practice, uh, but then he goes to the combine, doesn't run uh, any of the time drills. He does some of the positional work, looks solid there. But really, you want to see how he how he runs. He's someone that doesn't have a whole lot of production to his name, has a major injury, and he ends up running pretty mediocrely, if not below average, in, in most categories with the forty and uh, some of the agility stuff. So I, I think ultimately, fellas, that's why he doesn't get drafted. Were we surprised that that there was only one selected from Florida State? Were you guys hoping like that he or Keir Thomas could possibly have snuck in at the the end of uh, round seven? No, it wasn't a surprise. Uh, in Corbin's case, what you brought up is a situation. Also, there were a lot of good running backs in this draft. It was a very deep position in this draft. I don't think that helped him. I think he was a guy that when he hit the UDFA market that he was highly wanted. Um, and I think we saw that with how quickly he signed. I'm interested to hear terms of what the Giants gave him. I don't know if those are public yet. I don't know if anybody's put them out. And in Kier's case, uh, no combine invite really hurt him. And then pro day, he comes up lame. I believe it was his hammy. Yeah, um, I think so. Right, not quad. I think it was Hammy, and obviously limits his ability to test. And from what I understand, he couldn't do a whole lot for the couple of weeks after that between that and the draft. So, you know, that leaves teams kind of hanging. I know Keir Thomas is a guy that has a ton of college film, and he's been around a long time, and obviously he's a little bit older, which works against him as well. But people still want to see you test. It's just a weird part of the process where there's always so much put into that part of the process, even though, you know, if you got film, it kind of shows what you can do on a football field. Zach, control birdie. She's being a menace right now. Tell me Ooh. about it. God, oof, that's Zach's cat. Zach owns a cat, everyone. All right, so who else goes uh, to NFL teams as undrafted free agents? We got J. Sean Corbin with the Giants. Uh, Keir Thomas lands with – help me out. 
Care landed with Los Angeles Rams. Emmett right. Rice landed with the New York Giants as well. That's just a mini camp invite, according to what Rice told me. Devontae Love Taylor landed with the Bucks for a mini camp invite. That was according to NFL Draft Diamonds. He also told me that he got a mini camp invite with the Ravens. He intends to participate in both of those opportunities. Jordan Wilson told me that he accepted an invite with the Cincinnati Bengals mini camp for a mini camp with an intent to sign with them. Andrew Parchman is joining the Carolina Panthers, which he also told us. So there and is I believe a bit, that's mini camp invite for, for Parchman. Parchman. There is a bit of a difference, correct, for being an undrafted free agent, like a priority one who signs a more lucrative contract versus just a mini camp. But it usually just assures, like if you're like Jay Sean Corbin will make it through mini camp and probably be there in uh in camp in the regular camp, and then we'll see if he makes a 53-man roster. Still an uphill battle, but a better yeah. chance, right? Also makes a difference with financials. Um, yeah. Undrafted guys will get some guaranteed money usually, things of that sort. Uh, so in Parchment's case, the uh, Panthers did announce him as one of the guys they added as an undrafted free agent. So I think that may actually be a little bit more than a minicamp invite. Ooh. I can't remember if he specified when we spoke. He was one of the first guys I talked to in that group. Zach, where were you getting fired up? I was landing after a long delay uh, out of Vegas. What were you getting? You were texting, and I didn't have the energy or the mental aptitude to, to handle at that time. What were you going crazy about? Well, I just I was surprised um, about I mean, I'm not someone that's super knowledgeable of how the NFL draft process works. I understand that the NFL is really big on measurables, testing numbers and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, when we had, I think it was last year, right? Kando and, and J Rob get drafted, mm-hmm. um, basically just solely based on that. Um, they really didn't have any production at Florida state, but there are two long defensive ends that look the part. Whereas Keir Thomas has, I think, a bigger impact at Florida State in one season than those two guys combined in their entire time here. Um, and and he's, you know, struggling to find a an undrafted free agent deal after the after the draft ends. It it just surprised me. And then you have parchment that got signed. And I think, you know, a a honed in parchment is is a solid receiver, but that's you know. He struggled with that at Florida State, and I and I hope he does well in the NFL and he he gets his shot. But it it just surprises me how the how the NFL draft process works. They are super infatuated with measurables. That's yeah, that's always been the case. I feel like it's become even more prevalent the last couple of years. I'm not sure what shifted about that, but you know you see a lot more like mid round gambles like on a Kendo or a Robinson where there's almost no production of, of meaning. Uh, and they'll take that gamble because, hey, he's big, he's fast, we can mold him. What, is there some – like that does work a lot of the time with trench guys, especially offensive linemen where there's a lot more unknowns uh, and still a lot more developing to do. But, yeah, man, that's just – that's how it works. It sucks for a guy like Keir Thomas. That's why I didn't expect him to be drafted. It was like older, he had an injury history, and sometimes not having a full-time position like is a good thing if you're if you're versatile. Like it could also be a, a bad thing in some ways too – if you don't have like elite physical tools to kind of build a foundation on and he just he doesn't have it, but we'll see. I'm sure Keir Thomas is someone who's going to battle and scrap and like give himself a chance, you know, in, in camp, but yeah. it, it's, it is disappointing because you want to root for someone like that to, to make a roster. This is how it works in the NFL. Yeah. Uh, let's see. So as we kind of look at this draft, we'll wrap up the draft talk here in a minute, but like, as we kind of look at what I guess context of like, why Florida State has been the way it has been the last you know five six years? 
I think you could look at this reflection of NFL draft quality players, uh, NFL talents on the roster, and how quickly that's diminished. So I looked at some of the numbers the other day. In 2017 on FSU's roster, there were 14 players who went on to eventually be drafted in, in the ensuing years. In 2018, there were eight players who went on to be drafted. In 2019, there were six. In 2020, there were four. And this past class, obviously, 2021 roster, uh, there was one. Now, that'll change a little bit over time. If guys get drafted in the next year or two who are on the 2020 roster, that number will go up. The 2020 roster will go up. So that'll change some. But to talk, you go from you know 14 on a 2017 team that wasn't overly talented. That was a, just barely above 500 team. To go from that to currently you're talking about one guy uh, who was draftable on this past year's roster. Like, how? Why? Where? When? Fall off in recruiting. Fall off in evaluation. Drop off in development. Lack of continuity. Look at the amount that hit the portal that aren't picked by uh, up by any of significant anybody of significance. I mean, all the clues are there. Like it, it's been a constant issue. It's why the roster has been completely flipped over in the last twenty four month period. And the truth is, the roster has been a dismal mess for at least five years. And as we look at it, does it? I guess when I when I was like writing these stories and doing the research, like I'm trying to be realistic of like, okay, does it? It can't get much lower than where it's at now from a talent No, I think the low point was reached truthfully before last season. Right. I, I think there's almost like a two-year delay for this. So like the 2017 having 14 uh, draftable players on it, like really what you're probably seeing is like in the incoming in the ensuing years, like they're – in the two years after that, that was like Jimbo taking his foot off the gas. So you weren't able to have great recruiting classes and NFL caliber players like in droves like you had been in, in the previous part of the decade. Uh, you weren't able to have that in the ensuing years. And then we could look at what Willie Taggart did and, and the only NFL draftable player that he signed during his time here so far uh, was Asante Samuel Jr., who was a Jimbo Fisher recruit. So what you had was one person taking their foot off the gas, another one just not able to either recruit or develop uh, talent. And then you know the, we've documented the Mike Norvell issues of coming over in the pandemic, uh, not being able to – basically have you had a transition class and then a pandemic class and and just this bottoming out of the roster so i, I want to get your guys thoughts so as we remember this conversation we had a couple of years ago was like how many nfl players are on this roster i think we were talking about that like in 2019 or so when we were kind of projecting out ahead like who's who's going to end up being drafted i think we were stuck like at five or six players and lo and behold that number's been six uh, up to this point like trey mckitty gets drafted which was a pleasant surprise uh robinson and kando despite a lot of lack of production end up getting drafted a, a couple years later. So uh, right now, as we look at the 2022 roster, as we think it's going to be, there's still a few more additions. We'll get into that shortly. Fellas, I'm going to set the over under at 7.5 draftable players that are on this roster. doesn't mean they'll be drafted in the 2023 draft, but eventually uh, are we going to go over or under 7.5? And we can work through this a little bit. I think Akeem Dent has a shot. Obviously okay. needs to be what he needs to be this year, but I think he has a shot. I think O'Marion Cooper has a shot down the road if he continues to progress in a positive manner. I'd throw two to three defensive linemen on there, Lovett, Cooper, and Briggs being the first one that come to mind, and Verse, so that's three and a half to four. So that puts us at six. Offensively, I don't know. 
Uh, so let I mean, I think Trey Benson's really counted, but I'm not going to say that right now. That kid's got to go out and do something before I'm going to start anointing him an NFL draft pick. Do I think he has talent and ability to play at that level? Probably. Has a hell of a lot to do to prove it, though. Yeah, there's a bit of a projection with him, but I think he does have – I think he'll have the opportunities, and I think he has the talent, and that gives you a shot. Uh, skimming back a little bit to defense, so you're at six roughly, Chris. Don't forget yeah. Jamie Robinson. Yeah, Jamie probably, would be another one. Tatum Bethune might have a shot, especially if productivity is really, really good again. When you stack that much productivity and you're a kid that is thought to be a high-character kid, sometimes the team will take you late. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's another one. But yeah, Zaria Thomas? I mean, again, he'll, he'll play Benson. I think he's insanely talented, and AZ really, to use a phrase I love using, checks a lot of boxes. He's a well-rounded kid, smart, sharp, loves football, very dedicated to it. His brother's now with the Cowboys, Wanye, who went undrafted. But I'm not going to sit here and say, yeah, I think he definitely gets drafted. I'm just, I'm overdoing that with players on teams that are mediocre to bad teams because that tends to pull them down to some degree. So then it means I can't interest you in a Daniel Lyons or Sam McCall then? Heck no. <laughs> All right, so we get to probably, like Chris mentioned, maybe eight to nine players. I'd say you probably cut that in half, right? Because you assume best-case scenario for those guys. So, yeah, probably about four and a half to five is the sweet spot there, which is an improvement over you know, the last two years. Zach, what about you? Yeah, I'm at the under for seven, seven and a half. I mean, I agree with Chris. Like, I'm not ready to, you know – say that some of these true freshmen are for sure NFL draft guys. Um, I think the world of Azaria Thomas, but he's still got to go out on the field and prove it in the fall. Um, But, you know, like there's a bunch of defenders that I think are are NFL draft uh, caliber guys like Jared Verse, Fabian Lovett, Robert Cooper, Jamie Robinson. Like I think those four guys are are probably near the top of your roster for um, NFL draft caliber players. you know, prospects, but, I, but yeah, on offense, I think that's where I struggle the most to find a lot of, uh, NFL draft guys. Um, maybe Robert Scott, if he turns in a good year, mm. uh, just cause he's got, um, ideal measurables. Um, but other than that, man, like the skill positions, like I, I think a lot of NFL teams, like it, let's say Johnny Wilson has a great year this year. Like they'd take a flyer on him based on his size and, 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 you know, possible production. Um, mm. maybe Micah Pittman, if he if he has a great year but these are all maybes these these are guys that need to prove it um so i'm definitely under for seven and a half i'll bet you guys fifty dollars each right now that azaria thomas gets drafted i don't want to bet against him well said zachary okay whatever i take that as a yes you can pay me a hundred dollars in three years from now all right so so as we talk about really what this is going to come down to is development and whether you can add more pieces to the puzzle more nfl caliber players i think that we're talking about potential guys right now like in this freshman class like a sam mccall like a zaria thomas like a daniel lyons uh people who have skill sets and size that yeah that that could be something that ends up getting drafted but you're gonna have to develop it and hone it and probably gonna need a lot of stability as well with the coaching staff because those guys might be out the door in a couple of years if you change things up too much. So, you know, I think that's how you eventually turn around a program is you have to start winning a few more games here and there. You need to start creating stability. Hi, Birdie. You need to start creating stability with the strength program, and, and that also leads to stability with recruiting. 
And that'll give you a chance to at least be stabilized and start getting guys drafted at a rate that maybe, you know, not what Florida State was accustomed to in you know, certain parts of dynasty errors, but you know, at least to where it's not, you're talking about one to four players being drafted off of a roster that, that needs to be improved. How do we go about doing that? Acquire more talent. We went out there in the spring, and it looks more like what a football team should look like. Closer, yeah. And that's more of a statement than we can say versus the last two years for sure, and truthfully, much of the last four years. We haven't had as much time to talk about, like, recapping the spring, but, like, Chris was legitimately – I'm not talking out of school here because he's talked about it a little bit here and there. He was disgusted two springs ago, and he wasn't there for all the spring practices. I think baseball was having a deep run, so – he came in like one of the last days of the spring, and it was one of the worst practices of the spring, and not the worst. And Chris nearly threw up, I think. Did you tell Gene Deckerhoff good luck calling that game? Yeah, that was last spring, not this yeah. one that just concluded Correct. prior. Correct. One. Yes. Correct. That was yeah. two springs. The, the last spring practice before the spring game was the worst spring practice I've ever seen in my life. And then you jump forward a year, and it does look much more like what it's supposed to. So gradual. So as we get to projecting what the 2022 roster is going to look like uh there's still some developments that we're keeping an eye on because fsu has some room to add a few more guys uh right now we're at 81 scholarships accounted for roughly uh fsu won't confirm some so this is an estimation but i think 81 is a, a safe bet let's start off with everyone's favorite mystery man a name that is usually not uttered but it'll be really hard to talk about him without actually mentioning his name zach do you have any idea who i'm discussing here Mr. Dustin Hill. Mystery Dustin Hill. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah, so I posted an, an update on the Knowles 24-7 message board this morning about Dustin Hill. I basically just asked some people with knowledge of his situation, what his status was. I was told that they still expect him in the summer. Um, I was not given a specific enrollment date when I asked. Just so you guys know, uh, the summer A slash B sessions at Florida State begin on uh, May 9th. And then summer B session begins on June 20th. So those are both of the uh, start date for classes for those um, respective sessions. You know, like I said, this is coming from sources within the program. I'm, you know, I can have a different opinion on a situation or different thought of how things are going to play out. Uh, I, you know, I'm still in the wait and see mode, you know, show me. Uh, He hasn't been on campus for what, a year and a half since he signed with Florida State. If he shows up on campus, it'll be a surprise to me. That's how I'm going to put it now. Um, I wouldn't predict, like, if, if we're, you know, betting odds on this, like, I wouldn't bet him to show, show up on campus just because of how this has played out. But that's what Florida State still expects. So I'll report, um, you know, what, what, they're, what they're hearing and saying. It would be one of the biggest upsets in, like, our time covering recruiting that there would be someone who – didn't make it to campus when we thought they would make it there. They get delayed, and then a year and a half later for them to somehow make it to campus. I, I don't, I don't think I've ever reported on anything like that. Like if that ends up happening that way, have you? Is there anything comparable? I mean, there's guys that? going to JUCO, but you at least know where they are, what they're doing, and then sometimes, obviously, they get swallowed up by JUCO. Usually they end up getting swallowed up by JUCO. Like that's how that story usually yeah, ends. About 50, unfortunately, 50. yeah, yeah. yeah I, don't think there's, I don't think there's ever been a situation where, like, obviously we have the jokes on the message board of like Shavar Emanuel or Keon Joiner or whoever. 
um, about guys that are, you know, lingering, but we know that they're never going to end up at Florida state. Mm -hmm. Um, But I don't think there's ever been a situation that I've seen that's been like this, where the staff has expressed this much confidence a year and a half later about him eventually, you know, joining the team. Right. That's peculiar. I can't even fathom like starting to write like the impact on it. Like, I don't know what kind of football shape he's in and it just, it's, I will believe it when I see it that Dustin Hills at Florida state. And if so, like, you know, I guess you get someone who's immensely talented that you probably got that, that probably should have been a, you know, someone who would have had Alabama, Georgia level interest if those were schools that knew he could come in right away. Um, So we'll see. You may end up paying out for Florida state if it ends up happening to where Dustin Hill makes it to Tallahassee, but that's a, a wait and see scenario if I've ever seen one. So uh, as we get to the roster part of this, so we're talking about Dustin Hill potentially. That's a good scoop, Zach. Thank you. Uh, he had that on Knowles 24-7 earlier uh, today. If you want news right away, immediately, uh, sign up for Knowles 24-7. We're currently doing a 60% off promo. When's it last through, Chris? The end of today. All right, so get going on it. If you want it, if you want the tidbits, the scoop, all happening you know, earliest, do you want to get it right away? That, that's where to go. So 81 guys, maybe we'll – bookmark a spot for dustin hill uh should we bookmark a spot for tay woody as well potentially i reached out to him today i've not heard back i mean at last check it was still he's working towards academic progress necessary mm-hmm. we'll see where it is and that was i don't know mid-march i think there was there was a frustration that the grades hadn't been rectified back in the early signing period and then you know there were more february uh the regular signing period just it just hasn't happened yet, and you know, we'll see, I guess, on that one, too. There's a lot of we'll sees right now, fellas. All right, so the transfer portal. We're talking about FSU having about four roster spots. If those two don't make it to – if they do make it, you're looking at about two roster spots. And that's assuming, one, that there's no more attrition on the roster. Chris, do you want to clarify the May 1st rule? We were talking about it with Chris Hummer on the Slack earlier, and I think it's worthwhile because people are – on the border getting antsy because we thought maybe a few more guys would enter the portal and that hasn't happened yet. The May 1st deadline has come and gone, but not technically. So to be immediately eligible next season as a non-grad transfer, you have to submit your paperwork to compliance by May 1st to enter the transfer portal. There's then a 48 hour window, two business days before you technically will have to be entered. So a kid could enter today, tomorrow, possibly even into Wednesday, depending on the compliance department, kind of dragging their feet um, and still be considered a pre-May 1st entry or a May 1st or prior entry to the transfer portal. Now, if you're a grad transfer, you can enter enter whenever the heck you would like and you're good to go. If you're a non-grad transfer, you can still enter after that deadline. You may have to sit a year or you can go through a process of possibly attaining a waiver, but that's obviously much more complicated than it needs to be. So for if someone wants that immediate eligibility after going to the portal, then assuming you land somewhere else, you just had to have notified the school before May 1st or by May yes. 1st, excuse so me. So to give, give an example of this in FSU speak is most FSU players that hit the portal are gone. They're off the roster. I, we've seen what, Leonard Warner return? Anybody else over the time of the portal? No, and Leonard Warner was never taken off the roster. Most guys, once they enter the portal, they're, you can refresh that page and they're off there within an hour. But to use a different sport, because of soccer's uh, situation where they had a coaching change, several girls went into the portal before the May 1st deadline in case they want to transfer. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean they are definitely transferring, but they need to be in there by May 1st to make sure it didn't 
impact their availability for next season if they were to transfer. So that's just an example to kind of give people why a lot of kids will do it before May 1st, but there's still the possibility of it going either which way. And if there's still a couple more Florida State players who show up in the portal in the next day or two, I don't think any of us here would be shocked. I hate naming names before all the dust settles. I just think it's unfair to – it's not great practice in general. Uh, It's risky uh, unless you have it like direct confirmation from the player or someone like immediately to the player. Then It's set it on the board. I'm surprised TJ Davis hasn't hit the portal. He's a guy that's fallen by the wayside at a position where they've gotten deeper and they're recruiting better. So – he is one that I've expected since we had that discussion. I'm surprised he hasn't. There's a couple others, but he is one that I, I'm legitimately surprised he's not in the portal. And heck, I checked the roster this morning to make sure he was still on it. It's saying that you think someone might be someone who ends up entering the portal and saying that they're going to, you know, is, we've learned it's a dangerous, it's a dangerous game. Sometime with the portal, someone could take their name out. They can things can change. There could be another meeting after an exit interview. But yeah, TJ Davis would be someone who. Uh, fits the criteria someone who's been if you look at a guy who hasn't played a lot and has been jumped potentially by younger players even like say like look at daniel Lyons and bishop thomas are probably pushing to be the next ones up at defensive tackle after your five-man rotation uh they're the future there so like someone like chambray jackson tj davis those are names of guys who like kind of have to figure it out pretty soon whether they're going to be competing to be in the mix or just be okay having been jumped or saying, Hey, maybe we go somewhere else and try to figure it out from there. So yeah, there's some other names that we think there could still happen here in the next couple of days, uh, potentially, potentially, but right now let's just act as if this is kind of the dust is settled and this is what FSU has. So you have a few more spots left. We've talked about the positions of need, I guess what we think will emerge uh, in the portal for FSU, like what, what will be priorities. Uh, and we've had a few updates on those 24-7. Uh, Zach caught up with uh, Arizona State Office alignment, Ezra Dotson, Oye today. I think I got that one kind of right. Uh, as one, uh, a name that mentioned that we mentioned on the board yesterday who just emerged yesterday was kind of a surprise, was Isaiah Land, a really productive defensive end, edge defender out of FAMU. Uh, he was FCS, basic defensive player of the year. They get 19 sacks and, and interesting Film uh, skill set for sure. Another name is Jonah Miller, offensive lineman from Oregon. Uh, but as I'm talking about positions of potential need for FSU, where they would allocate you know, scholarships and roster spots, guys, there's not a ton of options right now. I think there's still more emerging here in the next couple of days. Even like just checking the Twitter feed since the time we started recording this on a Monday morning, there've been more names entering the portal. But I think coaches from around the country were projecting a lot more transfer activity and it just maybe seems like the market has kind of corrected itself after about a year and a half of, of this mass exodus. Well, there's been plenty of transfers. It's just not a lot of them are going to make you any better. Well, that's a probably a good way to put it. But a year ago, there was quality transfers even after the spring. There's just, there's not a ton. Um, but the really good ones are getting tampered with behind the scenes and will end up somewhere better than FSU. Well, let's talk about that a little bit. Uh, the transfer portal like era and now being so closely in sync with the NIL era, both of those happening within a couple of years of each other is creating this just drastic, drastic shift in like how recruiting happens. And it's new for everyone, right? It's new for coaches and football programs. It's new for us covering it. We're, we're still adjusting the way we cover things in the NIL slash portal era. And then for fans too, like a lot of them are uh, getting, getting agita, just kind of watching like how quickly some of this stuff is, is happening and how quickly a roster can kind of shift negatively overnight. 
in the top, like there are a few examples I'm going to throw out here, fellas, but like Jordan Addison at, at Pitt, like he's a badass wide receiver. He's one of the best wide receivers in the country. And a report comes out over the weekend that he's exploring entering the transfer portal. And then all of a sudden the Twitter rumors start. And I think like legitimate reporters have talked about like potential NIL deal with USC and then Pat Narduzzi has called Lee Good Riley, given him a piece of his mind. And so like you're not just talking about like tampering of like, hey, maybe you should enter the portal. That'd be a good idea. That's happened for the last year and a half. All schools do that uh, and do back channel and stuff like that. But now you're also saying, hey, if you enter the portal, this deal would be waiting for you. And that's really tough for college programs to account for. Uh, and look at other examples. There's Arizona State defensive tackle. I'm blanking on the name right now, but like he – he said that he was going to enter the transfer portal and basically explore a better NIL option. Uh, Isaiah Wong from Miami, the hoops player, uh, basically said that he's going to be negotiating NIL stuff. So like, this stuff's out in the open now, Chris. Like, I, this has been – it's been stuff that's always happened to an extent behind closed doors, like guys leveraging opportunities, but it's just been expedited, and now it's public, and now there's figures being put on things, and uh, it's, it's wild. Yeah, I mean, Wong and Addison, for lack of a better term, ripped the Band-Aid off and showed that pay-for-play is alive and well, and that's where we are right now. That, that's what the portal is in some ways. That's what NIL has made it. And until there's guardrails put on one or the other or both, that's what it's going to be. So, hey, more power to them. Let student-athletes go get paid if they want to go get paid. But it's going to make a wide margin of schools exist where there's those that can do this, and there's a whole heck of a lot that can that can't compete. So, that's where we are. That's college athletics right now. Yeah. You got anything no, I was just say, um, I think like we're going to see an effect, like Chris said, on the schools that can't uh, produce these massive NIL deals. I mean, you look at like the FCS level, like these insanely productive FCS players. I mean, this has been happening since the transfer portal existed, but they're going to have even more of an incentive to leave their current schools and head to bigger schools. If there's money waiting for them, they can't, you know, as much as you want to say, Oh, you could turn that down because there's loyalty. You know, I think money is going to to get rid of a lot of loyalty. That's, that's currently existing in college football to these schools that uh, these prospects were, or these players were originally at. Um, And I think it's going to get crazy. And, you know, to say this hasn't been going on is, not true. Like this has been going on for a while, but I think like Chris said, Isaiah Wong, Jordan Addison, other guys, they're kind of ripping the bandaid off and, and, and showing, you know, this is happening in front of our eyes and we're out, we're now able to see it happen legally under, you know, the NCAA's weak rules regarding NIL and, and the transport. Some programs are hesitant to like not rock the boat with NCAA laws or like in the state of Florida, like the, the Florida laws. Man, until anyone enforces it, like it's the Wild West. I think, honestly, it's easy for me to say because I don't deal with any of the repercussions of it. But, I mean, people are being super aggressive and there hasn't been any backlash yet. The NCAA is weak right now, the weakest it's ever been, and it's been weak for a long time. Uh, there's just, until someone comes and tells you, like, hey, this is exactly how it's going to be and this is how we're going to enforce it, if you just kind of sit idly by like other schools are going to have that advantage. I'm not just talking about having the finances to offer someone a $3 million NIL deal. I'm just talking about them being aggressive and forcing the issue with top prospects like an Addison. So it's going to continue to, until someone says, Hey, these are parameters or regulations or guardrails on it more than they are now. Like it's going to kind of be a free for all. 
Um, I wouldn't even call the NCAA weak. I'd call them disinterested. I don't think they have any interest in enforcing it. Like they're non-existent in this yeah. market right now. Yeah. Um, Maybe no, a presidential change, which is supposed to come in you know eighteen or so months, makes a difference in that. But right now, it doesn't. I did have you know Zach's point. He was talking about the FCS, and I was talking to a coach, an FCS coach, not all that long ago, and and he was kind of. Let me talk about it like being like a a tier system, like like say baseball, like with A, a triple A, you know, double A. Um, he was saying like I'm for the future. I'm going to recruit in the transfer portal and bringing guys who you're coming down from the FBS level uh, that maybe have some baggage and, and try to work with them for the next year or two, because if I recruit a high school prospect and develop the hell out of him, and all of a sudden he looks like an NFL player by year three, what's going to happen. He's going to get Jared verse. Yeah. That's what's going to happen. And, and so, yeah, there's this very clear tier system that's always kind of been there, but again, it's just becoming more pronounced and more uh, uh, significant uh, than it, than it has been in previous years. Um, as this applies to Florida State, I, I will say, like, we saw, I mean, it was public the other day. Derek McClendon put out on Twitter that he wasn't happy with with NIL stuff with Florida State. And then a few days later, and that got taken down, if I'm not mistaken, and then a few days later, he had an NIL uh, deal. He announced that he was part of Rising Spear. Akeem Dent announced about a week ago that he was part of Rising Spear as an ambassador. Um we were dealing with rumors a few weeks ago that he was entering the transfer portal. He never did enter the transfer portal. I've learned in my time covering FSU football, just because I hear players can enter the transfer portal doesn't mean they're going to, but I don't think that timing was a coincidence. We had heard about Fabian Lovett maybe leaving the program back before spring practice. And we don't report everything we hear right away because people are going to freak out. We want to see why, but Fabian Lovett, what does he have? And 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 I'll deal with rising speed. Yeah. So that's, that's the name of the game now, and that's one way to allocate you know your resources is to make sure you're keeping guys happy. But yeah, I think it is there is this also element of like a, a precedent being set now too. It's like a player says, "I'm not happy. I'm going to look at my options," and I don't know exactly terms or what's happening. But like there are elements to this of like you have to be careful because all of a sudden that could just set a domino effect where someone can say, I'm not happy. I might transfer. And all of a sudden you have to start paying them. And and that's fine. Like that's what you want to do, but you may not be able to afford everyone. It's going to be interesting. There's a lot of, there's a lot of hurdles that we're as reporters trying to deal with and trying to understand. And it's just constantly changing and it's interesting. It's kind of fun. It's entertaining, but uh, I understand where fans can be a little frustrated by all of it as well. Well, I mean, college basketball guys are declaring for the NBA draft, but retaining their eligibility to return. And part of that is NIL negotiation. And I don't blame the players. Like you have the a best is the ones that do the triangle so they can return, go NBA or hit the portal. And they that's put awesome. In the portal. So they have the triangle going on where they could do any of the above. That's, that's awesome. And NIL smack dab in the money. Now it is, it is a dangerous game. Great. Cause it could backfire on you, but I think, people are learning at a young age market, right? And like you're, we all, Josh would always say this, Hey, we all, we all cut our own contracts and it's true. Like you get to make what you're worth uh, in, in this country. That's kind of, that's kind of how it works is whatever someone's willing to pay is, is what you're worth. So that's now an option for these players for it to be done somewhat above board. Right. And, and that's what's happening now. Fun stuff. I'm enjoying I'm enjoying this NIL era. It's it's interesting. It's different. Uh any recruiting updates, fellas? 
Uh, Micah Mays was on campus on Saturday, talented athlete from Palm Beach County, very good track athlete, very good football player. He's a wide receiver. He's a DB. He's more wide receiver than DB, but he's dabbling in DB more now uh, to try to be one or both. FSU has not yet offered. If they did, I believe they would be a top school with him right now. I'd say Wake, Wake Forest might be his top school. BC's way up there. Tennessee's another one heavily in the mix. There were some others he mentioned to me. Sharp kid, smart kid. I know there's some on the staff that really, really like him. FSU intends to go watch him later in the spring. Again, they were already by the school once for their first evaluation of two spring evaluation visits. But uh, it will be interesting exiting the spring whether or not he has an offer from the Seminoles. Okay. Um, have, they, they, have they seen him in person, or is that what the spring's going to be? To kind uh, they Well, they saw him for a spring eval uh, last week. Ron Dugans went by the school this past week, but I don't know how much he actually watched him doing athletic exercises you know football and such i think that was more the pulling transcript checking in on him type of visit uh he did camp here last year so they do have a bit of a hands-on with him but he's he's such an athlete that he is still developing into a football player but he's a really 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 good athlete i mean he's an excellent track athlete he's a kid who probably can do track in the college level too so hasn't really worked out for fsc the last couple track standouts they've had after, I just, palm, really talented kids from palm beach county who have great athletic profiles i i just i i feel like this program right now you take those don't want to don't want to don't really, bet don't against overthink them. it yeah don't overthink it and if he goes to wake is he going to turn into a kid at wake who you regret that you didn't take because he's beating you on a saturday once in right. a fall right so that's just me recruiting updates uh outside of the visit uh, you said there are a bunch of texas offers yeah, so Chris Thompson and some other members of the staff spent a good bit of the last two weeks in Texas, mostly Thompson. He gets around. That's his area. That's where he's primary. But, for example, Adam Fuller went in to check on Justice Hugo. Um, I believe a couple other uh, – Randy Shannon was over there to look at a couple kids too. But they extended several offers in Texas yesterday. Colin Simmons, who rivals, actually ranks as their number one prospect in his class. I think he's like top 30 in the composite. Very good defensive end. He plays at Duncanville, so he's teammates with Early and Powers. He's a guy that FSU pulled the trigger on. Uh, Peyton Pierce, talented 2024 linebacker. Riley Van Puppel, who any baseball fans from the 90s, that's Todd Van Puppel's son, ace prospect back in the day. He played about 13 years in the majors. Riley is a two-way lineman that FSU likes as a developing offensive lineman. He's definitely one of those big-body kids who's been progressing in the high school level, going from being like an H-back tight end to becoming an O-lineman while also playing D-line. He's got that kind of athletic profile. I think they like it. And then uh, Darian Gullett's a talented athlete they offered in Texas. Excellent player on both sides of the ball. Very good receiver, very good linebacker. FSU likes him on defense. Uh, they also extended a couple other offers in like Mississippi. Jimothy Lewis, who's a really talented 2024 offensive lineman. Micah DeBose in Alabama is a 25 offensive lineman. So we're seeing evaluation offers go out. The 23 ones are the ones that interest me. Riley Van Puppel, for example, because those are guys that kind of seem like an expansion of the board. What do you make of that at the board expand at this point? Is that I guess that's pretty Off, normal. Offensive line, I feel like they always have a pretty expansive board. They're smart about how they approach recruiting offensive line. You need to have guys that you love, the Lucas Simmons, the Roger Kearney's of the world, but you also need to have guys that, man, is this going to be a heck of a lot better in four months and were we in on him four months ago? That's what I think Riley Van Poppel is to some degree. Plus, it's a long shot. It's a Texas kid. FSU doesn't land a lot of Texas kids. I got no issue with that. At linebacker, they need to expand it. There simply needs to be more names on the linebacker board. Um, you know, I love the Harris brothers, but they're going to be a battle. You know, if you miss out on them, I don't really know who's next at that position that FSU is in love with. All right. 
Are you cool with them expanding, like when they are going expanding the board, like it being prevalent in Texas? Like I know some people on the message board have this uh, anxiety well, with like going in, outside of the region. Texas is in focus because Chris Thompson just spent a good bit of the last two weeks there. Right. But they're about to spend a heck of a lot of time in Florida and Georgia. And we're going to see a bunch of offers go out there, too. So, like, I think that narrative quickly changes that. I don't think they're overdoing their time in Texas. Chris Thompson has a great deal of relationships in that state. They like kids from that state. They want to recruit that state. Obviously, their success rate is only so much in that state. So I get where some people think they're kind of wasting their time. Mm-hmm. That makes sense, though, uh, that that there will be more Florida stuff coming up here. All right. Who's on the road? Isn't someone coming down to Florida today? Well, Zach reported. Go ahead, Zach. Yeah. So the defensive coordinator, Adam Fuller, is making some stops today. He's, he'll be at Venice High School. He'll be at Palmetto and Largo. Venice has four-star defensive lineman Damon Wilson. And then Largo has uh, 2024 four-star linebacker Adarius Hayes. Palmetto has three-star defensive lineman Andrew Rumpf, who is a guy that they're currently evaluating. He was on campus in early April, um, but they're going to go check him out and, and see see what he does on the field. Um but yeah, and, I, and I'm told Ron Dugans will be in South Florida today making some stops uh, kind of in like North Fort Lauderdale, South Palm Beach area. And I'm, I'm told he'll be at Cardinal Gibbons practice uh, later today as well. Yeah, Broward County for Dugans. And then Chris Thompson's heading up to South Georgia. Um, don't know where everybody else on the staff is going quite yet, but we expect them out on the road. They're, this is week three of six weeks of evaluation. So a lot of guys that they haven't seen the first time, this will be that week for them. And they'll be hitting some new areas, too. They did a lot of Florida last week. We may have not reported on all of it, but, like, Woodson was in northwest Florida. JP and Odell were over in the Jacksonville area, seeing a guy like Jordan Hall, uh, seeing some others. I know they went to Bartram Trail, for example. Odell earlier in the week was on the I-4 corridor down there in, like, the Lake Wales area. I presume he saw England possibly for the first time this spring. Uh Dugans was down in Palm Beach, as we mentioned, with Micah Mays getting a visit from him last week. Fuller was in the Tampa area, saw a bunch of kids. Eddie Pierre-Lewis told me he came by. They offered a running back at Wharton. Uh, Tawaski Ab- no, Abrams is a young man at Fort Myers that they offered last week. The running back at uh, at uh, Wharton was Arkeese Parks, who's a younger kid. Uh, you know, So they're getting around. They're seeing their areas. I, you know, they put in effort. I don't ever question this staff's effort on the trail in the sense of doing their job, doing it diligently, getting around, seeing kids. They do that portion of the business very well. So the only other things that I want us to get to here before we wrap up this episode is the end of some of the spring sports. The regular season starting to wind down. Uh, let's start off with baseball, Chris. Uh, if you go 2-0, and o, does that count as a sweep technically? Yeah, sure. Um, right. So they did. They swept TCU. They won Friday and Saturday pretty convincingly. Sunday they were up by one in the fourth, but weather rolled in and TCU had a hard out because they co- traveled commercial. So that game ended, no contest, canceled. FSU baseball is twenty six and fifteen right now, but they are eight and three in weekend series, which plays to super regional format as being a pretty big positive for them. I think the biggest issue right now for FSU baseball is that they're twenty two and seven at home. They're only four and seven away from home. So it's definitely a concern when they leave the premises of Dick Hauser Stadium. They're also 0-1 at neutral sites in Jacksonville. So 4-8 and when they're not playing in Tallahassee this season. They, this week, head to Stetson, head to BC. They really need to go 3-1, and if not 4-0 and in those four games. It's an important stretch for them. Also would make that road record look a lot better for them. And then they'll come back home. 
and they kind of enter the end portion of their season. They'll have JU for a couple games on Tuesday, then a big series with Miami, who's still consistently a top 10 ranked team, last game with Florida, and then they wrap up going to North Carolina, play North Carolina, and then they stay there for the ACC championship. So that kind of plays out the next three weeks of the baseball season. What odds would you say right now that they host? I don't think they host as of right now, but they are 11 in the RPI. They also have 13 wins against Quadrant 1 teams. They only have four losses against teams outside Quadrant 1. So they're 13 and 11 against Quadrant 1. That's where their most action goes on. But for the 10 teams that are ahead of them, the only one that has more Quadrant 1 wins is number one, Tennessee, who's 15 and 2 against Quadrant Mm. 1. Now, there's some teams, Oregon State, who's number two in the RPI. They're 20 and 8 against Quadrant 1 and Quadrant 2, while FSU is 17 and 13 against those two quadrants. So I think that's something you can look at. So right now, I don't think they host. I think they're a strong number two in a regional somewhere in the southeast as of right now, but they can change that. You know, you go and do something against Miami, that should help your RPI. Obviously, RPI is also one of those things where, like, they need Mercer to keep winning. Mercer is actually number 10 in the RPI in the country. So they're one of those teams ahead of them. Notre Dame's ahead of them in the RPI. Georgia Southern, who they played, is ahead of them in the RPI. So they've got a few teams that can help continue raising that RPI. And we've seen that committee bases a heck of a lot on the RPI, or at least they did last year. Pivoting to softball, they were going up in the top 10 matchup against Oklahoma State. Uh, What happened uh, to the Lady Knowles this weekend? They won both, and both were enjoyable games. And Oklahoma State's one of those teams that definitely could be playing in Oklahoma in the big WCWS down the stretch here at the end of the year. So that's a pretty good sign for the Lady Knowles. 45 and 5 now on the season. They are on the verge of completely wrapping it up before hitting the ACC tournament. They will host Florida, which will be their final home game. That is on, I believe it's Wednesday evening, not Tuesday evening. Correct me if I'm incorrect. Either of you know offhand? Nope. I'm so disappointed in you, so no. It is Wednesday. I was even listening. They were playing Wednesday. I knew that against Florida. I knew that. Yeah, 7 p.m. And then they had There's some controversy. I think it's listed at 6 p.m. somewhere. My physical therapist is a huge FSU softball fan. I knew all about it. I'm going with Seminoles.com. So if I'm incorrect, blame them. And then NC State traveled to NC State and played them and then head to the ACC tournament in Pittsburgh. That starts in a little over a week. That starts a week from Wednesday. So. They are in a good position. I believe they're top five right now in the RPI. I know they were top five before the last victory over Oklahoma State. I think in the polls, they'll probably be around number three with Oklahoma, who's you know been unbelievable and only lost one game on the entire year, being one. And VTech, who's been pretty good in the league as well, being two. It's crazy, but I think the ACC has a real shot of having two of the top eight teams, which I don't know if that's ever happened. But it would huh. be FSU and VTech as of right now. Any other sports? Sports for I mean. I think since the last time we talked, soccer did hire Penske, their new head coach who came from Tennessee. Um, that's about the only other thing I can think of. You know, people have read a release on Penske. He had a lot of success at Tennessee. He has prior experience in this league. When Maryland was in this league, he was their head coach. Did well. Actually led Maryland to number one seed one year when he was an ACC coach. I believe he also won ACC coach of the, uh, coach of the year that year. The biggest thing with Penske is he's got to convince the young ladies that entered the portal to get a fair amount of them back. Because if mm-hmm. he does, he has a loaded roster handed off to him and should have immediate success with that group. We shall see how that transpires and plays out. That's something I'm keeping up with. I'm not going to ask about the soccer portal every single day, but like every third, fourth day, I've been asking for updates on it just to see if there's any transactions as far as more going in or some pulling themselves out of it. 
Did you want to talk about beach volleyball potentially? Ah, good job. I'm proud of you. You remember they won the CCSA, which is a conference that beach volleyball plays in because not everybody in the ACC competes in the sport for the sixth consecutive year. I believe that's the longest streak of any team in the country winning their conference tournament. So that's pretty impressive in its own right. They earned the number number five national seed for the NCAA tournament, which begins later this week. Um, it's kind of funny. They, they're really good. I mean, obviously won their conference tournament, one of the better teams in the country. But I don't feel like they've been as like, you know, unstoppable force as they have been in recent years sometimes this year. And I'm interested to see if that takes some of the pressure off in the NCAA tournament. I think most people think USC is probably the one that's going to be the favorite to win the NCAA tournament though, going into it. Okay. I think that's everything then. We got anything else? Zach, you good? I'm all good. Sorry, I was muted. Yeah, you were. That's fine. Dead, Dead Space is great for audio medium. Wrap it up, Sonon. Sonon is crashing hard right now. He's on that Vegas time. It's 821 oh a.m. What time do you want to get him back to uh, Midnight. It wasn't that bad. It was just the long time on the tarmac and a, a, a race to make it to the connecting flight in time. So, How fast was your 40 time like running through the tarmac? Have you seen me walk? It's not very fast these days. <laughs> how much were you thinking about how you smelled on the plane? Uh, a lot. I may have ripped ass on the plane. Oh no! <laughs> I, I no, really did. Recycled here. I know. I didn't want to. I didn't <sighs> want to. It was out of my control. It was in God's hands at that point. It was. It was three days or two and a half days of just copious amounts of alcohol. Like I said, a lot of poor eating. Uh, and the guy next to me might have just when, when I let it out, he goes, "God damn!" <laughs> <laughs> and I had to try really hard not to laugh. I, it wasn't like it was an out of body experience. There was nothing I could do at that point. Have you guys ever farted on an airplane? Did Don't you lie. buy him a drink at least? Nah, his feet smelled really bad. It was it was a fair trade-off. Mine was at least done in like five minutes. His lasted the entire flight. Have you guys ever expelled gas on a plane? I mean, I don't know about when I was asleep on a plane. I love sleeping on planes. But no, when I'm awake, I don't think I have. <laughs> Zach, one time Chris was snoring on a plane. I was like three rows back and I could hear him snoring. It was hilarious. <laughs> Dude, you guys are menaces on planes, man. You're never <laughs> going to see those people again. That's why 24-7 wants us to drive all the time. They don't want to get a bad reputation. They let us on a plane. <laughs> That's too many complaints from you too. <laughs> all right, let us know on the message board if you ever accidentally farted on a plane. Let us know. I want to hear about it. All right, for On the Bench, this has been Brendan Sinode. Thanks for Zach and Chris joining me today. Uh, we'll talk to you guys later. Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend, or do something a little more epic? 
and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 